Have you ever been in one of those drive-through lines at McDonald's? You see them now, and they have them at different restaurants as well, fast food restaurants, where they'll have like the double drive-through line. Have you seen that before? You have the double drive-through line, then you have to merge into one line eventually, right? Isn't that just kind of make you a little nervous for the fact of what we all struggle with, of thinking that we should be first all of the time? Like you're watching the car over there, and you're saying, that person's trying to pull out in front of me. Once they've ordered, I've ordered. They're trying to pull in front of me, even though I know I got there first before them, right? Have you ever been in that situation or something like it as well? Now, Chick-fil-A, of course, it's God's restaurant, you know, um, they have it down pat. You know, they have people out there with the iPads and everything and doing your order. And it's amazing. It's backed up almost to the end of the drive through line, but you get there so quick. But either way, and, and of course, they'll tell you, okay, now you're behind the gray sedan or you're behind the black suburban or something like that. You know, they'll tell you where to go. But if they don't have it sorted out like that, it's just kind of that nature within us. I wanted to say, I am first and you're not getting in front of me. Almost happened to me again the other night uh, at, uh, at kind of the return line at Walmart. There's just something within us that kind of says, you know, I should be first, right? I should be preeminent. It's something within the sin nature of us. But when we think of Jesus Christ, which we're talking about today in the midst of our sermon series, Foundations Christ, talking about Christology, the study of Jesus Christ, our title today is Christ before all things. He truly is the one who is before all things. And so today we're going to be looking at one of the great passages, again, of what's called Christology, the study of Jesus Christ, the proper study of Jesus Christ, which is really almost, you could say, the apex apex of this entire study, Christology. But before we do, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, I want to read one of the other great passages of Christology, one that's very familiar to us. So you can turn to Colossians chapter 1. I'll turn to Philippians chapter 2. We know it very well. It says, let this mind be in you which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, we're going to look at that, it's very akin to what we're going to look at today, which is the image of God, who is being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. That's what it says in my translations. In some of yours, it may translate it quite differently. But really the idea there is that Jesus Christ, even though he was the very image of God, and he always and forever possessed the very glory of God, he set aside some of his heavenly privileges so that he might come unto us to be the sacrifice for us. But verse 7, but himself made of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being a found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those on earth, those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, the amazing thing about Jesus Christ, which I wanted to set the tone in this way today, as we look at Colossians chapter 1, the reason I wanted to set this tone this way today is the amazing thing about it is Jesus Christ, is he was fully God and fully man. He was a human being that walked the face of this earth, God wrapped in flesh. Of all the people that deserved special privilege the most, he was the one that demanded it the least. Of all the people that walked the face of this earth, the one who, who, who deserved special privilege the most, he demanded it the least. And that's what's so amazing. That's what it makes Jesus Christ, the one who is before all things, 
more amazing ever still. Colossians chapter 1, in fact, is where we're going to be again today. Starting in verse 15, continuing through verse 18, it says this. He, of course, that is Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God. Not a copy, not a sort of a facsimile, not a Xerox copy, but he is the exact image. We'll get into that in just a moment. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and on the earth, visible and invisible. Remember, we talked about the spiritual realm a couple of weeks ago, that there is an absolute, real, unseen world around us of heaven and demons and the head of demons, which is Satan, which, which is not the stuff of movies. It is absolutely the truth of the world in which we live. Principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist or held together. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. He may have preeminence. Lord God, as we come to you this morning, help us to remember that Jesus Christ truly has preeminence in all the earth. And he, of course, has preeminence in our life. And Lord, we know those times in our Christian life in which we are not living in the way that we should and we're not experiencing the joy and happiness and the abundance of the Christian life can be directly related back to, are we walking in Christ-likeness? Are we experiencing the joy that comes with walking in the very fullness of Jesus Christ and allowing you to, to conform us to his image every day? Lord, we know that for those of us in this room who are believers in Jesus Christ, you are doing that great work of sanctification in our life. But in some way, and in your great economy, and way that we will never understand this side of heaven with a finite mind, Lord, we have some part in that as well by yielding ourselves unto you to do the discipling work in our life. So I pray that's the case. I pray also that it's the case today for those that sit here today who have never given their life to the Lord Jesus. They are not believers. They're not your children, your followers, Lord, that this may be the day that they would surrender their life unto you. And in Jesus' great name we pray, amen. The very first thing that we're gonna see today is the image. The image in verse 15, again it says, for he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Image there, and the original word is icon. In fact, that's where some of religious practices get their word of these sorts of uh, I did these sorts of things that they hang around and they put around in their, in their different houses of worship. But really the only true icon is the image, Jesus Christ. He is a direct representation of the Godhead. Remember we talked about that as well. The word Trinity does not appear in the Bible, but it is a theological concept that absolutely codifies what we see a true biblical principle. And that the Godhead appears to us in the Father, the Son, God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so when Jesus Christ came, he was wrapped in flesh, laying in that little manger that we celebrate at Christmas time, was the fullness of the Godhead bodily. John 20, verse 28 says this, And Thomas answered and said unto Jesus, My Lord and my God. He was more than just a great teacher. He was more than just a wonderful man that walked the face of the earth. Those things were true about him as well, but he was more than that. He was God on earth. Jesus Christ himself says in the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22, verse 13, he said, I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. 
He is the eternally existent one. All of those things that Scripture claims for the Godhead, the Father himself is claimed for the Son and the Holy Spirit as well. He is the image, that very manifestation of deity. The invisible God became visible unto us so that his character might be made known in full upon the earth. And because of that, Jesus Christ, he was the absolute best that could be offered of both man and God. He was 100% man, 100% God to a finite mind that makes no sense. By the very economy of God, he was 100% man, 100% God. Jesus, listen to this, Jesus is fully God and fully man in one person and will be so forever. Love this definition. Very simple, straight to the point of exactly what the Bible teaches. Jesus is fully God and fully man in one person and will be so forever. Will be so forever. Now, as he was fully man, of course, while he walked the face of the earth, he experienced all of the limitations that we experience in the weaknesses of flesh Yet he experienced those without one ounce of sin. Hebrews 4, 15 through 16 drives home this point. I love this passage. It says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but yet he was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. That's the first part of this verse 15. So it says we don't have some sort of a high priest, some sort of a religious leader that, it, it, that has no clue what we're going through. You may say to yourself, and really in so many words, or you, or you might hear this sort of thing expressed in just whatever circles you run in and culture you walk in and, and places of work, that God can't possibly understand me. Nothing could be further than, from the truth. It says that our high priest isn't one who is aloof and unsympathetic to our weaknesses. He can sympathize with our weaknesses because he was fully flesh as well. He was fully man. He was at all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And because of that, verse 16, let us therefore come boldly. You hear me talk about that in prayers quite often. Let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. One of the greatest truths for the Christian life is that we can come boldly before the Father. You see, for centuries upon centuries upon centuries, God's people, the Israelites, believed that God was distant from them. And that is, God, how he revealed himself. He revealed himself in a distant way. In fact, his presence would only come and rest in the tabernacle and later in the temple once a year. And the high priest himself was the only one who could go into the place of the Holy of Holies. But at the moment that Jesus Christ died, it says there in the Gospels that the, the veil was torn from top to bottom. It was very symbolic that now the way was made free between man and God because of the mediator, the Son, God the Son, Jesus Christ. And so even in our daily lives, you say, can God know me? Does God sympathize and realize what I'm dealing with? Absolutely. He says that Jesus Christ walked the face of the earth. God the Son walked the face of the earth and experienced exactly the weaknesses of flesh that you experience as well, yet without sin. And he paid the penalty for our sin, which means that we can come without groveling. We can come without wondering, will God hear us? We can come without kind of casting a prayer into the nothingness and hoping God hears it. It says that we can come boldly before the throne of grace, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. This is not talking about firstborn in the sense of a timeline. In fact, that was really one of the great heresies of the early church. Arius said, taught that Jesus Christ was created. 
He said he's, he's better than man, but he's less than God because he was created. That's not at all what it's talking about. It's speaking about the supremacy as far as the firstborn son in privileges. That's the metaphor that's used there in Scripture. One similar to it is used of David, King David, the actual person David in Psalms 89, 27. And God, speaking of David, says, Also, I will make David him, I will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. He wasn't the firstborn chronologically and of the same type, but he was the firstborn of privileges. And it's exactly what he's speaking about it with Jesus Christ. He wasn't of the same type of creation. He wasn't a created being. It is a metaphor that speaks the fact that he is the, the son of great privileges. He came and he was born in flesh, although he was eternally existent. And in fact, this whole point is, to not, is not to tie Jesus to creation, but to distinguish him from it. What's really important about Jesus being the image of God, that it was God on earth, God in flesh, firstborn over creation, is a couple of things. Only the infinite one. Why is it important that Jesus Christ, the person who walked the face of the earth and died on the cross for our sins, truly was God in flesh? Only the infinite. Number one, only the infinite could bear the full penalty of sin. And only one who was truly God. Number two, only one who was truly God could truly be that mediator between God and man. First Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. So he is the image. He is the image. He is also the creator. He's also the creator. It says in verse 16 and 17, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. So it says, for by him, okay? And then a little bit later in verse 16, all things were created through him and for him. Three things that affirm his supremacy there. In verse 17, and he is before all things and in him all things Consists. Three times it affirms his supremacy over the creation which he created by him, through him, and for him. The very first one, for him, by our, for him, all things were created. He conceived not only of creation, but all of its complexities. It was his idea. He cast it into existence. It's almost as if, again, this is a finite mind. This is the finite mind of mankind trying to wrap around an infinite concept. But the father, you could almost say, was the developer. And the son himself was the architect, the designer, and the foreman trying to wrap an infinite mind around an, a finite mind around an infinite concept. But he was the one through him, by him, for him, all things were created. What types of things? Not only heavenly things, but visible, invisible. Dominions, principalities, and power. Not only the seen world, but the unseen world. He had supremacy over all. Principalities and powers and through him, it says. So not only for him, but through him. He was the creative and sustaining power. Through him, by him, through him, and for him. Folks, listen to this. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the goal of all creation. He is the goal of all creation. And all creation exists to display his glory. Jesus Christ is not only the goal of all creation, but all creation exists to display his glory. Now, as we look about our world and we read headlines in the newspaper and news feed, however you get your news, or maybe you just watch the news and see the headlines, maybe you just look in the personal world, which is your life, 
and just kind of your sphere of your day, and it seems like the world is absolutely spinning out of control. At the macro level, again, just every headline you might read the world over, and even at the micro level, you say, in my life, it seems as though things are just absolutely spinning out of control, and it seems as though the world has just lost its bearings. There is nothing that could be further from the truth. God is always and forever upon his throne. And so whether we look at the world macro level as well, God is sovereign over all things, or whether we look at your individual life as well, you can rest assured that the one who created, spoke the world in creation is the one who is forever upon his throne. So not only by him, through him, and for him, but he was before all things, verse 17. He has that preeminence and supremacy of which we'll come back to in verse 18 as well. He was before all things, preeminent and supreme in all things, and in him all things consist. I love this scriptural concept, this absolute biblical truth that that not only did, did Jesus Christ speak the world into creation, but by the very sustaining power of who he is, he holds them all together. That really, when you look at the concept there, when you look at the, the, the biblical idea, is that it's, not, it's, anything, it's anything but a creator who spoke the world into existence and just kind of set it in motion, hoping that things would just kind of get on about themselves. It says that Jesus Christ holds all things together, even at the smallest of levels. You ever studied atoms before? It used to be the atom, A-T-O-M. They thought that the smallest parts of an atom or protons neutrons. But now they've discovered, of course, this has been many years since then, but electrons as well. And even inside of those, even smaller building blocks of these electrons, these protons and these neurons are called quarks. So they they get down and they find the smallest level of what holds things together. What is holding together all of life, it says, not only do these little things hold themselves together, but what is holding them together biblically, we know is the very sustaining power of Jesus Christ. When we bring that down from not only the macro level again to the micro level of your life, the micro level, level not just the building blocks of all of life, but your life, that you have to say the creator has not forgotten you. And of all of his sustaining power and all of his creative power, we know also that the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit God has not forgotten you. Matthew 10, 30, Jesus Christ himself said, the very hairs on your head are numbered. The very hairs on your head are numbered. Now, unfortunately, as many of you have experienced too, I'm starting to see less and less hairs up here that need to be numbered. So the the, the job is less complicated for the Lord, but it's still quite a job. All of those things are held together and he knows He says he knows the very hairs on your head. And he says, if he knows a sparrow falls, of course, the crown jewel of his creation, which is mankind of which you are part, he knows intimately about you. So not only was Jesus Christ, was he the image, the creator, but he is the preeminent, the very preeminent one. It says in verse 18, not only this, not only was he the creator and sustainer of all things, but he is the head of the body, which is the church, who is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in all things, again, he might have preeminence. Again, this great picture of the church, the body of Christ, of which we'll get into in a couple of weeks here in greater depth. But what a wonderful metaphor. 
under the great eternal wisdom of God for what the local church, what the church, big C, and then the local church, little c, just like this should be, that we are a body. It speaks of the interdependency of the individual parts. We are interdependent upon one another to help one another navigate life and challenge one another to live out God's word in our life so that we are not tossed to and fro by the waves and the winds of the world and the inevitable difficulties and hardships of life. We are interdependent upon one another to challenge and encourage one another to strive towards Christ-likeness. Not only that, but it speaks of that very dynamic relationship, again, of the parts striving together towards maturity. And then, of course, of course, when you think about the body, you have to think about the head, the one who is Jesus Christ, the one. It speaks of that redemptive role of the head of the body, Jesus Christ. He's the head of the body, the church. We are his body, his hands and feet. When the world sees the, when, when the, world sees the church, with the body of Christ, what they see in the world is the body, the hands and the feet. We go out before him. He's the body, the head of the church, who is from the beginning. Authority and rule and supremacy is found in him. And it says he is the firstborn from the dead. Not again, firstborn in time, but firstborn in rank. He was the only person to ever be raised. He was the only person to die that it was ever that has ever been risen again. The first person to rise, never to die again. The first person to rise, never to die again. Of course, he, he raised Lazarus from the grave, but he was dead again. Jesus Christ is the first person to rise, never to die again. Again, it says that we are the first fruits. He is the first fruits of that very resurrection for us. And in all things, not only was he from the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, but in, that in him, he may have preeminence. In all things, he may have preeminence. He may be supreme. Folks, listen to this. Just as with creation, so all of redemption depends upon and points to him. Jesus Christ is preeminent. Jesus Christ is preeminent. So when we think about this great study of of this sort of apex, again, of this entire sermon series of foundations, these great themes of the Bible, this right here, Christology, is the very apex of this study as well. He is the preeminent one, folks. He is the preeminent one, the creator, the very image, the very image of God. Will you allow him? The question is, will you allow him to implant his image upon you? Will you allow him to create in you a clean heart? And will you allow him to reign supreme in your life? Let's pray. Lord God, as we come this morning, as we come and we reflect upon the great one, Jesus Christ, who wasn't just some man, he wasn't just a great teacher, but he was the very son of God on earth. He was God the son. Lord God, may we Uh, those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior, may we leave this place giving him the place of preeminence in our life daily. God, we know he ultimately reigns supreme and sits upon the throne of our lives, but in practical ways by our decisions, we live as though we, we have pushed him off the throne of our hearts. Lord, may he have preeminence daily in our lives. May we follow him. And Lord, trust that your word rings true in every situation of life. 
God, I pray also for those that are here today as well that have never given their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. May they, may they do that very thing, surrender their life unto him as the one who should reign supreme in their hearts. And in his great name we do pray. Amen.